By staying home, you can not only protect your health and that of those around you, but ensure that our healthcare professionals and our healthcare systems can focus on those who need their help. Hello and welcome to Corona Movie Club, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Um, so we have a schedule of movies and we're all going to watch them independently in our own socially isolated homes and then three times a week we're going to get together over the internet and talk about them just like your mom's old book club used to do. Um, except now there's nothing old about it because it's all over the internet and we're all social isolating so that we don't help spread the coronavirus around the universe. Um, so we have people from all over North America who are participating and there's going to be different people on each call from the uh, core group. And so every episode, I'm going to come in and introduce the film that we're going to be watching, as well as the names of the people that are going to be on that week's call or that episode's call, because we're going to be doing this three times a week. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy. Let's go to the movies. It's something to do. Today's movie is the 1971 classic Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, it is our second rolled doll adaptation in a couple of weeks. Um, I think Matt Yipchuk uh, recommended all of these rolled doll ad adaptations. He loves them. Um, but this one, man, this is a special film. 1971, just... I mean, a classic is the only way to describe it. You know, it was remade in 2005 by... Um, uh, Tim Burton, which is a real shame because that movie is horrible. But this, the magic of this 1971 one um, directed by Mel Stewart is just unbelievable. Partly because there is no, like it was pre-computer animation and all that kind of stuff. So it's got a, so much practical creativity to it that I think captures the spirit of the thing so much better in that sort of inventor thing that's at the core of Willy Wonka as a character um here played by Gene Wilder and one of film's iconic performances like of all time I'm sure there are lists like this but if you make a you know a list of the greatest performances of all time like I, film icons Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka it's got to be up there um it's technically a musical there are like three songs but you know, it's delightful. Uh, we get a little bit into some of the weird darkness around the Oompa Loompa situation, but for the most part, we just kind of bask in the glory that is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory as a story as written by Roald Dahl and then the ways in which um, Stewart adapted the film uh, to really to embrace the new medium Um some of the ways that Charlie as a character is deepened and strengthened by some of the changes they made to the plot as originally told by Roald Dahl. And, uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's a classic. Just do it. If you haven't seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, I mean, I don't even know what to tell you. Just go fix that. It's scary, though. Don't let, like, small, small kids watch it. It's a lot scarier than maybe you remember. But it's also... Like the part, the creepiness is like part of it. Um, so definitely don't hold it back from kids until they're too old. But uh, it's a special movie. I just, man, I want a candy, like not a river of chocolate because it's kind of gross, but like 
the candy prairie thing or like the it's not a prairie what is it it's like a garden a garden that's what it is the candy garden man i could use that right now with the giant gummy bears mm. okay now i'm hungry okay bye i would always pick gummy over chocolate it needs to be like the right kind of chocolate whereas most gummy products i can very well enjoy how do you feel about sour things they're the best I, yeah i like them as long as they're not like ridiculously sour to the point where like it hurts like warheads no not enjoyable like they're enjoyable for the experience of being uncomfortable and like laughing at people who are suffering through warheads but like to actually just enjoy as a candy no i feel like they're so good though. very interesting darkness yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't love the sour, I gotta say. I, I don't, the, I, I like a fuzzy peach. A fuzzy peach is a good thing, yeah, but for the most part, any, any of the shower, sour sugar stuff, not for me. I like just like a regular, I really Pardon? like, like just gummies that are imitating fruit. Like my favorite are those um, yes. mangoes. Mm. The mangoes are my favorites, but they're but like candied mangoes or mango candy no it was mango they were they're i think haribo made them they're they're okay. they never you can't find them anywhere they're they were just fake mangoes made of candy sort of like a swedish berry nice. but if they were trying to be mangoes that sounds delicious they were delicious oh my gosh. i worked briefly in a candy store and we used to have <gasps> well that's store. the dream <laughs> uh yeah it was again, <laughs> It was fine. I, I didn't mind the job at all. The boss was a monster. Um, and I feel like that is thematic, though. Like, <laughs> most, there's like a tyrannical edge to a, to a candy man, you know? Yes, it's true. Um, speaking of, uh, Matt, you've been talking about uh, wanting to do Willy Wonka for months. You bring I it have. up in like every episode. So I how do you start? <laughs> I, I'm going to assume that you have uh, strong feelings about this movie then? <laughs> yeah. Well, initially I just wanted Willy Wonka because you said pick the movies off of Netflix that you want to watch and talk about. And I was like, okay. And then Willy Wonka was there. And I thought, yeah, that's a good one. But yeah, I just, I, Willy Wonka, I think holds up so well as a movie. It's just, it's an incredibly well-made movie that is like, it just gets better with age, I feel like. Unlike candy, but like a fine wine. And the older I get with that movie, the more I can appreciate a lot of the subtleties of it that just totally went over my head as a kid that made me love it even more. And even when I was rewatching it this week, what stood out to me is that I almost think I like the first half of the movie before we go to the factory more than the actual factory. I think it's just so hilarious so many things like the little vignettes of all the people trying to get the Wonka bars to me are like one of the best parts of the movie and so hilarious like the woman whose husband is up for ransom and it's like just tell them I'll give them anything anything they want all I want is my Harold back he's like they want your case of Wonka bars do you hear me it's your husband's life or your case of Wonka bars how long will they give me to decide just all the stuff like that is so hilarious and Gene Wilder I never got, well, as a kid and teenager, I never really understood why everyone loved him so much as Wonka. And I'm just starting to get it now. And I don't know if it's because 
I'm slowly turning into Willy Wonka, but the way that he talks to kids is basically how I talk to kids that really annoy me, where they'll try to get your attention. You're just like, wait, sorry, what? I, I can't hear you. I don't understand you. Keep going. Like just that quality about him, I think is so brilliant and so effortless and it's an incredible performance. And like, like I think I said on the Matilda episode that generally Roald Dahl movies have a really good track record for their adaptations. And I think this is like near the top of my list of Roald Dahl film adaptations. And it usually always comes down to whether or not the director understands the tone and is able to strike the balance between the whimsy and the darkness, which this movie absolutely does. And then finding the right people to inhabit really weirdly specific roles, which again, I think for the most part, this movie does. And the other thing I just love about this film is like, I like movies that have a level of theatricality to them. And I've always, especially through film school, when I was getting one of my two degrees, trying to figure out what it is that I like about movies that like people kept saying you like movies that are basically just filmed theater, which I didn't think was necessarily fair, but there is an element to that, that I liked in this movie. Like I like when you can sit with actors in a performance for an extended take and just really appreciate the chemistry and the action in the scene between them, which we get a lot. Cause I think there's some really great chemistry between some of the, the actors in this, just specifically the families are really well cast. Like I think Veruca and Mr. Salt are brilliant together. Like the scene when they're, she's yelling at him in the office, like that is just a hilariously brilliantly acted scene, which yeah, like that's amazing. Um, the other kids aren't as good in terms of acting, but they're just really well cast, which I can appreciate. And Grandpa Joe is just amazing. Just like, I love that actor. He's just so sweet. And I think he elevates Charlie's performance in every way possible, like in a good way. Not to say Charlie was bad, but I think his performance is that much better because of how good that actor is. And yeah, there's just, there's not, I don't have many qualms with this film. That's my opening statement. Um, I don't really have a lot to say about this movie in general. Uh, I like that it's super creepy. Um, I like the, I really like the root, the, the, the candy design stuff, um, specifically in the, um, when they're in the sort of like park looking place where everything's made like oh, yeah. candy, um, that sort of first big room, um, part of the tour. Uh, yeah, I just don't have, I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about this movie. I think it's really effective. It is also really weird, which I appreciate without, um, and I think is right but without going like weird is the whole identity, which is basically mm. what I think Tim Burton did. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I think that, um, that Gene Wilder is really excellent. He does a really good job of making him um, like an odd person without it being like, look how weird I am. Um, yes. Yeah. And the, you're right. The kids are really well cast. I really like, um, I read a thing online that argued that Violet is the um, hero of the story. Oh, I posted that. <laughs> oh, did you? Unless you read it from someone else, but I definitely posted that. Yeah. <laughs> I probably, I probably saw it from you because Facebook has you very high in my algorithm because you keep posting cheesecake. 
Um, oh yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And I think that's a really interesting point. I, so like to that point, I really like the other kids. Like I think Veruca's great. I think Violet's great. Like there's a lot of um, really interesting stuff there. Don't love Grandpa Joe. I mean, the actor is really? lovely, but like, I don't like the character yeah. that much. Oh, well, no, the character is so problematic. If you could walk, why weren't you helping support the family? Yeah. Get out bed for chocolate. Yeah. There's some stuff in this movie that's a little bit weird. <laughs> I don't know. Steve, how do you feel about Oompa Loompas? Uh, well, from what they're based on, we know that that's pretty uh, racy. But they've changed Wait, them. What, what, what are they based on? <laughs> oh, like racist. <laughs> how, how are the Oompa Loompas racist? Uh, oh, when they were originally written, they were um, uh, black pygmies from Africa and they were actually treated as slaves and uh, used as experiments uh, for all of the candy. Then he... Okay, there's a, well... There's a second edition where they changed their look into blonde, white little like dwarves mm. um and that's and and if they did that in film it would just look like uh what's that other movie wizard of oz um so i think the choices that they made is good i think oh, it gives them, them the creepy green-haired orange face yeah i think it gives them a more mythical yeah. uh mythical magical quality and like this is True. like a magical island that they found that they were found on. Maybe it wasn't on Earth. Who knows? Yeah, Loompa Land. Um, yeah. No, but like, I, I mean, like, is it on Earth or is it like elsewhere? Oh. Um, Either way, though, regardless of where they're from, they shouldn't be um, subjugated and made into servants, yeah? Like, yes. A, however, know? they do go with the description and they make it very simplistic, I think. Um, they go with the description that they were being tortured and it was a really horrible place that they were coming from. And so because yeah, of the vinicious canids. So you get this like white savior thing if you want to talk mm. about them. But, um, but when they're there and they're singing, they are always talking about like, well, don't be like, don't be greedy and all this and have manners and be happy like us. So they keep saying that they're happy and they're fine to be there and work. Mm. I don't know. So I'm just going to take it Take it on their word, face value, <laughs> that they are okay. And Bree, what do you think? Even though it's, it's, I mean, like, they have to be experimenting. Like, whoever's testing out these candies, like, it's got to be the Oompa So, <laughs> it's, they just don't talk, they don't talk about it, but apparently in the book they do. So, I had multiple feelings. One, just kind of going off what Steve was saying, just that, like, it is in the realm of the, what are the little things in harry potter it's like they're all oh, insane, house but they're happy and it's like <laughs> but it is to, totally house healthy yeah it's like they they love it and it's like oh but completely going on a different tangent and i can come back to this if we really want to dig into the what yeah um i was just gonna say one thing and kind of going with the oompa loompas my favorite one of the things i kind of like like i grew up on this movie i love it but there's, like, as I've gotten older, I truly appreciated the, like, meme quality. So, like, all the Oompa Loompa songs where it's, like, oh, that kid done fucked up. And it's, like, great. And it's, like, how can, like, I apply that to, like, someone at work? Like, can I make a song about them and torment them? Or, like, even, like, I rewatch it. And, then like, as a kid, I'm, like, oh, I want to be Charlie. I want to find the good, the, the golden ticket. Now I'm, like, I'm going to be, like, Baruka. 
or I'm going to go sucked into the TV because, like, I don't care anymore. I am capitalism got me. <laughs> and or maybe Mike. Yeah, yeah. It's like capitalism got me. Just put me in the TV. I'm good. Love Mike TV. <laughs> Oh, I hate but, my TV yeah, but so like, much. I think if yeah. all four of the losing children were one character, that would be me. Mm. <laughs> all their work qualities, put them in one. Call it play. And then Matt, I think you brought up Grandpa Joe, and just I think it's John Mulaney has a joke about it where it's like homeboy like pops on up <laughs> after he's been so like sad and like he's been drinking like like pajama soup that Charlie's mom is trying to make after her singing her song and then he suddenly can walk and it's like why couldn't you have helped the fam so it's like all these things like when I watched it when I was younger I'm like oh that's kind of weird but like as an adult I'm like how can I meme this and how can I make this funny and how can it be like a bright spot in the day when like I don't know someone says something potentially racist at the office you're like That's why I love this movie. It has so many great qualities in it. But if we want to go back to, like, how the Oompa Loompas and, like, how the house elves really, unfortunately, reflect back onto us as a society, we can. But, uh, not it. I mean, we do not have to make Willy Wonka discussion about um, slavery. We can opt out of that if we choose to. Um, I'm going to mute myself and eat some more candy. So, um, Matt, what do you, more do you have to say about this movie? Hey, uh, well, another, oh. oh, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, Matt, it's kind of something you mentioned, just looking at how Willy Wonka is as an adult. I think, again, like, as a kid, I'm like, wow, he's that weird dude with, like, that weird boat scene. And then I got older, and I'm like, wow, I truly have become Willy Wonka. And, like, I don't give a shit about if these kids die or not. I think it's yeah. great. Um, can you explain the boat scene to me because I still (laughs) the boat scene is we all went on acid for like five minutes and it was great there's something in that candy and Wonka was trying to trip I don't know oh that makes sense there's there's no explanation for how he acts I I, I can't I I can't find any explanation Um, like that weird it just, just goes crazy I don't know it's like he he starts off with that like where he looks like he's about to fall and then he does that tumble later and truly after that it's off to the races with the boat scene kids getting murdered and i always remember as a child i'm like do they come back my mom's like don't ask about that it's fine (laughs) and and the only thing that bothered me i think a lot as a kid because i did read the books i was like where's the the glass elevator and i was like just just stop don't ask those questions Except, uh, uh, I don't know if you've read it, but reportedly the whole thing where he flips over was like G- heavily invested in by Gene Wilder. And he said, like, when they offered him the movie, his stipulation was, I'll only do it if upon my entrance, you let me come out with a cane and then spend like a good minute and a half to get me from like the factory to the giant crowd of people. Then at the last second, I do a really impressive like flip. And his whole philosophy was that that was just establishing from the beginning that you can't trust him and that he's all about showmanship. I think I did and hear so, about that, which is yeah. fascinating. It is. It's just another reason that he was so good in that movie. But yeah, oh, I had something else I was going to say and I can't remember now. Also, I don't understand why people are scared of the boat scene. It never freaked me out as a kid. It doesn't freak me out as an adult. And I know I it has like scarred it. people. <laughs> Oh yeah, I don't understand it either. Like I get, I feel that's definitely part of the point. Is that it's just there as part of 
him screwing with their perception of everything that the factory is. See, like, I understand why there is the boat tunnel thing. It's a security measure. Um, but in terms of him, like, actually going through this poem and, like, yelling and screaming, like, Wait, that, time out. How is it a security measure? Um, well, this whole factory is about security measures. There's the, sure. the, the door thing at the beginning before they get into the big room, and then they have to go on the boat to get to the next part, which is the invention. Um, and there's like, you know, he has different codes and all this other stuff. So it's, it is a, this tunnel is supposed to be this confusing thing. You don't know where to go. I guess only the Oompa Loompas know how to travel through it or the boat just knows how to do it. I don't know. Hmm. It's magical. That's, that's what it is. But I don't understand why he goes through his little crazy rant. That's the only thing I really don't understand in this movie. <laughs> and when I was a, when I was a kid, I remember thinking, why? the hell is Wonka so like mean and evil and now of course I get it um, he's 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 annoyed he wants someone to take over um and he just wants these kids to be kids and like follow some follow some a little bit of rules you know um except the ones who die well yeah so they, they, don't, fail. they don't they don't fail die, that's though. why that's why he's upset and like annoyed about it and he's like well mm -hmm. please don't I mean I don't I'm not going to try and stop you like he doesn't care at this point he's like you you need to figure it out kids and that's sort of the uh epic theater type of style that this whole movie is and with the Oompa Loompas and they, they have a little dance break a music break it's like here's the message here's the moral that's a, it's a very epic theater type of style that this movie is yeah I mean he it's it's a test right so if he was yeah. nice to them the whole time and the factory was really fun and safe then he wouldn't be able to tell who is worthy of like his meanness is the point um, you know sort of like like the paces I would put my brother's girlfriends through you know what I mean? To like, know <laughs> they were like worthy of joining the family. You know? Yeah. Where they had to, you just have to torture them a little bit. <laughs> just so you know that it's they're ha okay. Hazing, hazing, hazing. Yeah, it's like basic hazing. And also <laughs> just like to, to, to weed out the terrible people from the, like the secretly terrible people who maybe present well from the good people. Right. Also, I think it's less about well, not less. I think it's equal parts him wanting to find a successor or an heir, but then I also think he is taking it upon himself to try to fix humanity just through those other, like, four awful kids as much as possible. Because of that thing he says at the end where he's like, they're going to be fine and hopefully they will be wiser. Very good point. Mm -hmm. These kids will have an origin story forever now. <laughs> exactly. And I am kind of disappointed that, like, as to addressing what happened to them after that, like, I remember there's a scene in the book when they're in the elevator and they see the other kids leaving the factory and they're just, like, physically altered for the rest yeah. of their lives. Because yeah. I think, like, what is it? Violet is just, she's deflated but permanently blue. Uh, Mike TV was, like, stretched out basically to, like, Jack Skellington proportions. And I can't remember what happened to the other two. But, yeah, like, it would have been kind of cool. To see some variant of that, but yeah, <laughs> so it it's goes. Kind of, it's kind of fun to have that mystery of like Wonka tells them like, oh, the, the 
perfectly fine. It's like, well, maybe not. That's true. Maybe not. That's um, true. In this world, he and the movie kind of leaves that open, and I kind of like that. Uh, Wait, yeah, I, I also. Yeah. I kind of have a question for you, Matt, in terms of loving the the movie slash book. I vaguely remember that fizzy lifting drink scene is not in the book. Was it like? Well, first of all, did you read the book first, or did you watch the movie first? And if you read I the think... book first, were you one of those kids where it's like that doesn't belong? He would never <laughs> do that because I was that little kid who was like the mm-mm, incorrect Grandpa Joe's a shit. Why would he do that and ruin Charlie's chances? I think, no. With Actually, yeah, because I had my Roald Dahl phase. And for the entire Roald Dahl phase, I watched the movies first, then went back and read the books, and then assessed in my, like, 10-year-old brain whether or not the movies made smart adaptation choices. And then more often than not, I felt like they did. Like, especially James and the Giant Peach. Someone said this on a podcast I was listening to recently, and it reminded me that, what they said was correct how the movie in some ways is better than the book because it's giving an ultimate goal for why james has to get to new york and the book is just a lot more episodic where they're just kind of on a peach going who knows where having peach adventures and then they end up in new york is like okay that's nice but the movie unifies it really well by giving him like a trajectory or a goal and i think charlie and the chocolate factory the book in some ways lacked direction in a way that like adapting it straight to film wouldn't have been good i think it works well as a book but they made some like i think the whole thing with charlie also screwing up just like the other kids is a really strong choice because it doesn't exempt him from being faulted i suppose like the other kids are but then the difference is that he's able to rise above it and like show remorse and give back the everlasting gobstopper and i think like that's a brilliant move just in turning it into a film that wasn't necessarily needed in its form as a book but i think that's like yeah it's a very smart adaptation choice so yeah what was the question fizzy lifting drinks did i care that it was added for the movies i mean you kind of yes. answered it. <laughs> yeah I, I can maybe answer a little bit of that too because i remember i've i read the book a long time ago but i remember that the fizzy lifting drink scene uh, doesn't happen in the book, mm-hmm. um, but they do talk about an Oompa Loompa going up and, and like, like they used one as an, exa- uh, as an experiment or they talk about one of them going up. So it's like they talk about the fizzy lifting drink and that's it. But the great thing about it in the movie, what they did is if um charlie didn't do that scene in in the book charlie does absolutely nothing like (laughs) he does absolutely nothing and then he just survives (laughs) and then he wins like that's yeah that's his reward for so in this movie they give him sort of a flaw um even though it's his grandfather that you know tempts him to take some um and he survives this possible tragedy uh, by burping, luckily. Um, and, um, and then it gives him, like, he has to feel guilty at the end. And then he has to actually realize, like, he didn't follow the rules. He signed a contract. And he needs to kind of do the right thing. 
And so there's this great turn that happens there at the end that the movie does that the book is lacking. It gives mm -hmm. Charlie a choice. Yeah, I think that adding, giving him more agency is a really smart move. And I think that, you know, certainly I understand people who are like book purists who always say the book is better than the movie. I understand where that comes from because there is a history of Hollywood like really simplifying things, um, especially like movies are just shorter. Um, but I think that a, a good adaptation, and there are so many that um, it's become, uh, if you if you default to the book is better than the movie, you're not really paying attention because there there are so many examples where it's just not true. Because I think a responsible adaptation um, has to change things. The best mm -hmm. adaptations aren't just the most strictly faithful because then they're often like boring movies or there was no reason why it is a movie. But I think that the thing I always say is that an adaptation has to take responsibility for its new format or its new um, not genre, its new form, like the new yeah. media that it's in. Um, like why is Legally Blonde on stage now? Like why is it a musical? <laughs> like what can you do in a musical that you couldn't do in the film? And so they were like, Greek chorus. You know, like they, they do interesting, you know, that, I don't know why that's my go-to example. But <laughs> <laughs> It's a really well-adapted musical. Um, but, like, or, you know, there has to be a reason why it's in its new form. And there's something that, there needs to be something that the new form can bring to the text that alters it and illuminates it or unlocks it in a new way. Um, and I think they did a really good job with, and, and Matt's right, like, I think that happens a lot in Roald Dahl things. Because um, Matilda's a fantastic example where the filmification of it made it so stronger, so much stronger in my opinion. Um, and I think that they did a really great job with this one as well with like things like giving, giving Charlie more flaws and more agency um, makes him more interesting. Yeah, he's so much better than the Tim Burton Charlie who's just cute and it's just like, I want the chocolate. Ew, is that Freddie Highmore? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the good doctor. Somebody free, yeah. somebody free Richard Schiff right now. Let him out of his contract, set him free so he's not depressed anymore. Who? What? <laughs> Richard Schiff, who played Toby on the West Wing and is therefore the greatest, is stuck on this terrible network show called The Good Doctor, where Freddie Highmore uh, is oh, right, doing okay. maybe the most offensive performance of like performative autism that I've ever seen. It's bad. It's so, so. Oh, no, I. I totally know the good doctor. I just never watch it because of how much he annoys me and like the previews yeah. and oh, everything. Brutal. Yes. Just brutal. Um, but Richard Schiff is on that show and every time he came on the West Wing Weekly, he just sounded so sad. Aww. Like he'd, he'd talk about like the good old days when people would write good scenes for him. <laughs> That's sad. When you said sad, I thought you meant the character and then you t were talking about like the actor. I'm like, no. No, he's trapped. <laughs> it happens all the time where like people sign these contracts and then they just need to be like how Kyle McLaughlin was on Carol's second act this year. And just the whole time you're just like, you need to be freed from being on Carol's second act. Yeah. <laughs> There's a middle-aged dad who needs to be portrayed somewhere. Kyle McLaughlin, go, go. <laughs> he's great. <laughs> yeah he is uh, he just he has a very distinct type yes it's his haircut actually yeah uh, I even remember when I saw Inside Out 
before the dad character even spoke, I just looked at him. I was like, I bet he's voiced by Kyle MacLachlan. <laughs> he was. All right. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So Willy Wonka. I also don't like the Tim Burton movie. I've decided when it came out, I was okay with it. But I think it's just it's too much, mm-hmm. which really annoys me. Like I was watching clips even just to compare the Oompa Loompa songs and most of the scenes, like how they were approached. And I think this movie, yeah, another reason that this film works for me is because of how kind of grounded in realism it is. And then it makes all the ridiculous things a lot more intriguing. And like, it starts off in a very like naturalistic setting and then just slowly starts to pepper in the more surrealist elements, which I really appreciate. Like it just, it builds a really convincing world that I don't think is easy to pull off or nearly as easy to pull off as this movie makes it look like it is. And then you have something like the Tim Burton one that's just a big living, breathing cartoon that is a lot more visually impressive, but I feel doesn't have the same impact. Like I think actual human turning into a blueberry in 1970s Willy Wonka is so much more effective than CGI blueberry scene. I would agree with that. I would. I actually think that Tim Burton's is not visually impressive because it does look like a cartoon. Yeah. Whereas I find the original incredibly visually impressive because I do know that they built all of those things. Mm-hmm. And like that tangible knowledge, I think, mm-hmm. makes it, or knowledge of tangibility is maybe more accurate, um, makes it more impressive and seems so much more, I don't know, grand and enveloping somehow. Mm-hmm. And also having, like, having a select cast of five to seven actual Oompa Loompas is so much more effective than having the same guy CGI'd a hundred times over. And there's just something so eerily perfect about knowing that those Oompa Loompas are lip syncing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't How exactly dare you. They articulate They all sing live. <laughs> Sorry, you're right. Um, <laughs> And there's one that just has a really distinctive face that's kind of become the face of the Oompa Loompas in all subsequent media. Like when they do posters or re-releases of the DVD cover or, oh, who am I kidding, on the Willy Wonka slot machines. There's one Oompa Loompa who it just has such a distinctive Oompa face. And I just kept watching that Oompa thinking, you're the face of the Oompa Loompas and you're doing such a good job right now. Yeah, there's definitely one who's like the famous one. Yeah. <laughs> like the one everyone thinks of. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we're all thinking of his face now. We can't exactly articulate it, but it's that, that's the Oompa. Yeah. yeah. I really and their choreography stand... is so good. Just... <laughs> I really just couldn't stand Johnny Depp. I just, I uh, couldn't, uh, that whole movie. I just think I, I'm, but I'm a cynic about Tim Burton. Like I don't love his work in general. The only one of his movies Sorry. I particularly, oh, relax. The only one of his movies I particularly love is Big Fish. Um, okay. Because I think that what he, like his Batman, particular Batman. sensibility, Beetlejuice. Batman. <laughs> I don't even care about Batman. Just Beetlejuice, you're, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Just, just sit there going, but Batman, Batman, Batman. <laughs> um, I don't care. I just think he's wacky, and I don't, I don't like style over substance, and I just find him boring. But okay. Big Fish, I find that his um, whole deal was applied correctly yeah. um and i like you know first of all he had more restraint in that one but then he also um sort of his over the topness worked well with the story 
Um, yeah. I think something like, like this was his Alice in Wonderland phase um, was very, like his Charlie and Chocolate Factory phase was all in the sort of same era where he was just like going crazy with CGI and going like yeah. all over there to rein him in. He turned into a cartoon of himself who was <laughs> to begin with quite cartoony and just, I have little patience for Tim Burton in general, zero patience for late period Tim Burton. Yes. Yeah, I remember him. not good anymore. <laughs> oh, oh. I liked Big Eyes. I thought Big Eyes was more a return to. I couldn't finish Tim that Burton's... movie. Really? Oh yeah, it I was... got bored. Oh, I really liked yeah. Big Eyes because he was like he he couldn't rely on stupid. Well, okay, now I'll say it. <laughs> stupid CGI fantasy worlds. He had to sort of try to apply his Burtonisms to a more or less realistic setting that I think led to some led to a generally better film than what we've seen from him in recent years. But it just, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. Just to Kelly's point, I remember when Big Fish came out and I was watching it on DVD with the commentary because I love DVD commentaries and I oh, miss them too. dearly. Yeah. He said, oh, it was the scene where Billy Crudup is like in his office in Paris and he said something like, this is one of the hardest things I've ever had to direct because it was just normal. Also, because you just know Billy Crudup was not going to put up with his shit. So, like, that's oh, yeah. one of the things in that movie that I'm just, like, the. I think that the grounded stuff was able to stay so grounded because they had Billy Crudup and Marion Cotillard, who, like, you just don't make them do weird nonsense. It's just not going to work. Did you see Nine? No, I did Oh, yes, I did see Nine. It's really bad. Have you seen that? No, was he in that or was Marion? No, Marion. She was um, the wife. She No, not Carla. Carla's the mistress. Um, I can't remember. But she was Daniel Day-Lewis's wife. Okay. Well, maybe it was just Billy Crudup then who was just like not going to participate in any nonsense. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Going back to, well, we're still on, uh, Tim Burton. I just realized, I wanted to check this before I said it, but I realized like, and do you know, I know what I'm going to say, so don't correct me immediately. Uh, one of my favorite Tim Burton properties was The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, I know he did not direct it, which is why I wanted to check something. And then, like, throughout the early aughts, is that what it's called? And, like, the tens, um, you had those, the, it was, like, the Johnny Depp, the Tim Burton, mm. and the Helen Bonham Carter, like, trio on everything. And 90% of the stuff they did, I didn't like. And so what I wanted to double check before saying that was Corpse Bride. And I didn't realize that... Um, Tim Burton actually directed it. Him and some other person, Mike Johnson, directed it. And I always remember thinking, I guess I assumed that it was also still Henry Selleck from um, Nightmare Before Christmas, but I couldn't connect with it. Like the, It was like a very pretty movie and like had a lot mm-hmm. of stuff, um, but it just like didn't have the depth that I wanted. It also had this man trying to scat jazz and it was some of the worst i've ever heard in my life i skip that yeah. song every time sorry good sir but it was it's just interesting because it's like that trio that like they dragged onto every single movie and i don't know if helen was helena was in um the um willie the charlie and the chocolate factory yeah, was, but yeah. okay so, mother, so like mother. every they, they shoved them all in it was that that weird triangle of the three of them and like yeah yeah didn't well, benefit really Because that was, yeah, that was one of those, like, they were married and they were best friends. And so they only worked together. Yeah. She did other great movies, though. She did other great movies, though. Oh, she's, I I very much. (laughs) I only like the Sweeney Todd movie because it introduced me to Sweeney Todd. 
And yeah. then I did it at BU, and I was like, oh, this is how it should sound. <laughs> <laughs> you were, no, we I, was, yeah, well, Chris Bemke said yeah. was the lead yeah. in that. Yeah, that's how everything should sound. And I also got I, to, I like, slide down the chair, and it was terrifying, but yes. <laughs> I can appreciate the Sweeney Todd movie because it tried to do something visually interesting with a stage property, which is not super common, like, to see something that stylized that started out like as a musical, not even really counting the Into the Woods movie because we don't have time for me to get into that. But I think, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, well, I'm going to backtrack now to something Kelly said about Tim Burton, how I think it's a general rule of thumb that people who have very interesting creative brains are so much better when they have restrictions put on them. Like, the example I, keep, I always go back to in my brain is Julie Taymor with Lion King and how amazing that turned out because she had Disney kind of directing her, but then you give her Spider-Man and free reign and that happens. <laughs> and then... People die. I was, yep. Then I was discussing <laughs> this with someone else earlier today. Like I feel it's kind of similar with Linda Wolverton who wrote Beauty and the Beast, who I just did a whole video about how much I love her work and how brilliant she is. But then when I look at her later period stuff, they're movies that I don't love and in some cases really actively dislike. And the difference there is because, yeah, Beauty and the Beast and Lion King, which she also did, she had to collaborate and work with other people and there was a lot of push-pull. But then because she, like, and not to diminish her talent because she's brilliant and I love her brain, but I feel like she got to a point where they just said, okay, we now entrust you. Here is a property we own, i.e. Alice in Wonderland or... Maleficent, can you give us some kind of movie that we can make into a multi-billion dollar budget film? And then she's like, yes, here's the script. And then the script is either kind of subpar or not that great, but it still, it makes tons of money, which is great in some ways, industry-wise, to like have her in that position. But at the other hand, I'm like, these movies would have been so good if you just restrained it a little bit or had more collaboration to try to keep it in keeping with what those properties should be. Sorry, I just, I really don't like the Maleficent movie. That's another Yeah, I was going to say, like, thank you for telling me that the woman who wrote The Beauty and the Beast did that god beautiful film, Maleficent, which had so much potential in that. <sighs> yes, it makes me so angry. <laughs> Maleficent, but that, no, no time right now. I talk about that all the time with um, uh, television because I'm a big believer Mm -hmm. in network television still being a viable thing. Um, And one of the reasons is because a lot of HBO and Netflix shows really bug me um, because the, they don't, they just kind of pick random artists and are like, here, go, you have free reign and they can do whatever they want. And then they often drive off cliffs. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas, and they like, their shows are too long and all that kind of stuff. Whereas like at FX, which isn't network, it's cable, but there's um, a really good, the FX has a really good president who has really good taste. And he just gives like one round of notes and just like a a guiding hand that's just like, Mm -hmm. but maybe this makes all the difference. And there's so many good examples of someone working in network TV where there are a lot of limitations because of the FCC standards um, where they can't do something. So they're forced to, just be creative and do something slightly different mm-hmm. and the the and it turns out way better um the example i always give is at the end of season two of the west wing bartlett curses god in latin 
um, which is a character thing. That character was established as speaking Latin because um, he's a nerd. And it's this really famous scene that everybody loves and they love that it's in Latin. Um, but it's only in Latin because of the things he was saying. He was just cursing at God and NBC wouldn't let him do it on like prime time. And so he put it in Latin so that he could say whatever he wanted, which makes it so much better because we don't know what he's saying. It's less cheesy because he, he's not saying things out loud. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just like this big famous scene. It was only because they couldn't do it the way they wanted to do it. And I think that limitations breed creativity and goodness. Whereas if you just like let people roam free, you get things like the first episode of Hunters on Amazon Prime that I watched yesterday that was an hour and a half long. That's a movie. That is unacceptable. It's like a K-drama episode, but like you know that episode's going to be at least an hour and a half. That, mm-mm. No, no. This is why theater is more magical than movies a lot of the time. Because of uh, the challenges that they face to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's why the, the Lion King musical is so special. Let's go back to what Matt's saying was that like... Yeah it never should have been possible and she made it possible with <laughs> sheer creativity and that's really special. Yeah, and apparently that was also a byproduct of um, they cut they've been more open with admitting that when Beauty and the Beast was going to Broadway, Disney like corporate sort of realized that they shot themselves in the foot as soon as it opened by pushing it to be too visually similar to the movie and by trying to compete with like the spectacle aspect of um, Phantom, which was, well, still is like the biggest thing ever. It just, and, they just announced their closing in London after 35 years. Oh, and London, I thought you were going to say Broadway. I was going to freak out. I mean, still London, that's huge, but oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. But yeah, what was, yeah, that was the end of my story. Basically just Disney realized you have to switch things up to be successful. Well, they realize that once. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because yeah, the live, the live Beauty and the Beast is very like, it's very much just. It's almost like a Disney World thrill, where like mm. the point is that Belle is right in front of you, and isn't that exciting? But it's not yeah. actually like different enough from the movie to make it sort of really worth it. Whereas the, the mm. Lion King musical is its whole other thing. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the Beauty and the Beast musical stands on its own just purely reading it probably better than lion king would i think for lion king well maybe we'll find this out one day if the rights ever become available but i think the lion king is like a packaged success and i don't know that it wouldn't that i don't know that it would work if it was being produced outside of the realm of like the broadway production with the tamor puppets and everything else whereas i think beauty and the beast is strongly written enough that like a bare bones production, like in a black box theater would be a lot more effective than what we got on Broadway. Just cause I think the characters are good. The music is really beautiful. Like that show can survive on the merit of its writing alone. And I don't know that Lion King necessarily can. Oh, that's for sure. It's the production values. And I don't want to spend any more time talking about Disney on Broadway. Cause we're talking True. about Wonka, but <laughs> you're absolutely right. And a Lion King, it, that the shock of that first scene and like all the production values and the puppets and everything is the Lion King. And then Mm. like you get to going and it really is just kind of like a kid's show. That's just, and then this happens and this happens. That's why the old Willy Wonka movie is better than the new one. It's true. (laughs) Exactly. Wait, quick question. Speaking of old Willy Wonka, and I will admit I didn't rewatch it in the last 
week. Um, but were all his tickets delivered uh, within North America? No, because no. Augustus Gloop is um, uh, German. He's German. German. Yes, yeah. and Veruca is and British. British. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. They were Thank you. only delivered in the Western world full of white people. True. Right. True. Yep. Yeah, there's also a theory that I didn't he planted them. <laughs> and apparently the German kid was German and didn't know English for the, and he learned English for this movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, the actor, not the kid. Yeah, probably the found somebody. Like, how insulting is that to the kid who, like, did speak English, who didn't get the part because he was, like, a little bit less... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's... that's they could have found a kid who also spoke English. Yeah, they definitely could have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, also, do we think that kid with the black hair and the really awful sweaters throughout the movie, the one who's like, Willy Wonka's opening his factory again. He has five tickets. Like, do we think he was the runner-up for Charlie? Because I do. <laughs> I just thought of that today. I feel like that was the kid who was almost Charlie Bucket. Then they picked uh, Peter Ostrom and were like, well, you can be in the movie. Here, you get two lines. <laughs> I mean, very possible. Mm-hmm. I feel he's like that. He, he sells do. that role, though. He does. He's great. <laughs> is he great? Or I think so. Like... I remember him delivering that role in the door of the classroom. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to say, not about the little boy and his great delivery, but it was actually really funny. Not funny impactful i guess because like and we talked about this a while ago but when he uh charlie is discovered that he got caught and you have wonka doing that line where he's like you lose good day sir first of all that's a great memeable thing that i say to all my friends when they piss me off but on a more serious note it was like like you see like villains in movie and this movie didn't really have like they had villains but like as you said, like, you had a main character who had flaws, and so to have this guy that you're like, oh, like, maybe, like, I will get the factory, and, like, he didn't get caught, and, like, to suddenly be, like, shot down that hard, I know it broke, like, however old I was, I don't know, <laughs> 500 years old ago, um, it broke my heart, because I was like, wow, he really did fuck up, and he got caught, and there's consequences, <laughs> Yeah, and he's yelling at me, oh, shit, but, yeah, but, again, quite a great thing to say when someone has pissed you off. It's just yeah, you lose, sir. And it's great because it's about contracts, and I love that so much. Because it's like you need to know what's on the contract you've signed, guys. Steve, that's <laughs> they a couldn't. Thing they to couldn't say. technically read the whole contract, though. That was no, they they couldn't. It, that that was unfair. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, does anyone really read the Apple contracts? Well, you should. No, you should. But the fact that you can is important. Yeah, they change it on you though after you accepted the original one. <laughs> <laughs> mm, and they don't make you cool. re-sign it that's not well, good well they let you know that it's changing oh, oh okay oh yeah that I... paypal keeps emailing me telling me yeah. they're changing their terms of service and i'm like cool delete yeah <laughs> yeah we should probably read those but again yeah like kelly said the difference is that you can it's your own option to not read them whereas the really wonka kids first off they were being rushed by wonka being like quickly sign it sign it we have to go they were and also then, children Yes, and oh yeah, that's right. Is that legal? Well, Probably. Well, all, they, they all of the parents, parents all of the parents actually told them not to. All the parents were like, uh, "Like, no, we don't have to sign that." I'm like, "Well, then you don't go into the the, the factory." I'm like, "Oh, okay, okay." And all the kids are like, "No, we want to go." 
It should have been that, like, one parent. It would have been a whole separate movie. He's like, hang on, let me read this. And, like, all the adventures are happening. He's still turning pages. Like, he gets no movie made about him, but he's like, wait a minute. If I drink the fizzy lifting, we should leave. Yep. It'd be a really boring movie, but I'd watch half of it. That was the other good thing that they adapted is they, they only did one parent instead of both. <gasps> I was about to say that, yeah. Because yeah. I remember that was one thing that shocked me when I read the book for the first time in, I think, grade four, that the sheer amount of characters since all the kids were allowed to bring up to two parents. I remember that when they first entered the factory, the book specifically says something like, there were almost 30 people walking in. I was like, no, that's too many. <laughs> it's too many. Can't do this. Just made it simple, simpler for everyone. Yeah, no, and it also <laughs> allows you to see more so what the relationship is between that parental unit and the specific kid, which I think is a really brilliant thing. Not, well, with this movie, but the story in general is the potential to see how different parenting tactics can result in different types of kids. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very insightful film important for teaching lessons yeah well the movie it's based on dante's inferno reportedly so everything's based on dante's <laughs> inferno reportedly is it it's either that or the odyssey yeah oh wait what read, are the five it's dante's inferno odyssey bible there were two uh, i think feel like there's two others like the whole theory that everything is based on like one of those five things i know dante's inferno was one Odyssey, Bible. Oh, actually, yeah, probably Seven Samurai now. <laughs> um, there's, wow. this, there's this great um, R-rated Willy Wonka that these guys did in America. They do this for many movies. They've done Home Alone, and uh, they've done a little Marvel one, too. And mm -hmm. it's just like, so all of the kids basically die. They make, they, they, they're CGI people. They, they do special mm -hmm. effects. So they just... Um, they kind of make uh, the whole movie kind of creepy. They have like an intro where the kid's like a killer, like Charlie's a killer <laughs> to get the ticket. Like he kills someone. Yes. Um, and then he, uh, it's a short, it's like a short movie. It's like 10 minutes maybe. Um, but you see all of the, they've changed some of the scenes. So all of the kids actually like, you know, it's not good. <laughs> it doesn't end up good. So the same people who made the Magic School Bus trailer where the kids have to go get Miss Frizzle from hell? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Because that was hilarious. That sounds very cartoony. Like, these guys are CGI. Like, they do CGI, re like, uh, bad and good CGI stuff. The corridor, the corridor people, corridor crew, mm. corridor something. Well, if Wonka taught us anything, it's that a movie doesn't need CGI to be visually stunning. Correct. Mm -hmm. All you CGI need is in Willy Wonka. There is special effects in Willy Wonka, though. What in seventies Willy Wonka? Yep, the um, there's like what the, the fizzy scene? fizzy drink scene. So they're on well, like there's they're practical on effects. They're not. Yeah, there's practical Pardon? effects. There's practical effects. Practical not. effects. They're not computer oh. effects. The, yes, there are a little bit of computer effects. They're very simple. Um, but yeah. there's a perspective of them going up into the fan from below. Um, that that's that, a camera angle thing. No. Yeah, it's still it's still like. It's special effects. I'm not saying it's computer. I'm saying it's com special mm -hmm. effects. Oh, yeah, no. I'm saying that special effects 
are better when there are no computers involved is my basic mantra with all things movie related. Yeah, I think it still counts as a practical effect if you like go in and mess with the actual film itself, right? Like anything, Mm -hmm. like anything that requires Mm -hmm. you using your hands and like actually getting in there and doing it Mm -hmm. is a practical effect, whether it was like in the room or not. These guys mm-hmm. also mentioned like the best special effects have both practical and computer. Like if there is computer, that there's also some sort of practical element. And that's what Jurassic Park did really well. The dinosaurs, and, yeah. And Inception, where they put Joseph Gordon-Levitt in a hallway oh, yeah. and yeah. just Rotate. flipped him. And yeah. Christopher yeah. Nolan was just like cackling to the side. Just kidding, that man doesn't laugh. But like, that's what I assume. <laughs> yeah, he does a lot of practical effects, Nolan. Yeah. True. And on that note, does anyone have any closing thoughts about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? I like I, the opening. I like seeing how chocolate is made in other factories to just set up your expectation and then like totally 180 it when you realize that that's not at all how Wonka makes chocolate. Like it just, it's so good at, this movie is very good at world building. That's what I'll say. If I could live in that forest thing of candy and not gain like three million pounds, that would be my new home. You know what, though? At a certain point, all you would want is like a baked potato. No. Nope. You know? <laughs> I would Augustus gloop and go straight up the chocolate thing. Be like, That's what the dump is for. <laughs> the dump tastes like baked potato. Right. Oh, right. See, I just think contrast is important. You know? Yeah. Sugar. Uh, sugar. Sugar, sugar. Okay. Bye, guys. See you next week. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Good talk. <laughs>